2: All right, as you know, we usually begin with a comic introduction into these shows, um, and we're pretty fearless about that, too, uh, but we decided not to today just because the topic that we're undertaking is, I think, maybe too often drowned out with uh, comedy and too often... Uh, sort of kicked into uh, a category it doesn't belong in because one of the things we do uh, actually about both of these topics sexuality and being overweight uh, is joke about it so we're not going to do that Uh, we are going to have a conversation about uh, how uh, being fat, and we are going to use that word uh, from time to time and, and that term uh, from time to time, uh, how being fat uh, either does or doesn't change uh, one's sexuality, one's love life. Uh, we're starting out here with the author of XL Love, How the Obesity Crisis is Complicating America's Love Life. That's Sarah Varney. She's a senior health policy correspondent for Kaiser Health News. And she's appeared on NPR. You may have heard her. And on the PBS NewsHour, her work has appeared in uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic also with us. And we should say, the people on this show uh, do not agree with about a lot of things. Uh, and we're looking forward to having an interesting, con- interesting conversation for that reason. Uh, Laura Bogart is a freelance writer and editor whose work has appeared in several publications, including Salon, The Rumpus, Dame, and The Nervous Breakdown. I didn't realize there was a publication called The Nervous Breakdown. Why am I not freelancing for them? Uh, It just seems like something I would be writing for. But anyway, uh, we'll come to that. So I want to begin, Sarah Varney, with something that I think you and Laura Bogart will both agree about, which is uh, in your book, one of the things that, that, uh, that you bring out, there's a sort of a prevailing idea that fat people or some fat people aren't interested in sex, and that's wrong. Maybe you can comment on that.
3: Absolutely. Well, um, it's nice to talk with you today. Um, what What I found really interesting about some of the social science research was that despite the fact that obesity has really spread throughout the country and we now have two or and two out of three Americans who are overweight or obese, a lot of the, the norms and the thinking around obesity and folks who are overweight has not really changed. So when you look back to some of the early surveys that were done in, say, the 1970s or 1980s about dating preference um, and ideas about... Um, Sexuality as it related to weight have really not changed much, um, and that was very surprising to me. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Mississippi, which is a state, of course, that has been in a sense on the vanguard of the obesity epidemic, and to try and get a sense of whether or not some of those norms in a place like Mississippi, where the majority of people are overweight or obese, has really shifted. But there does seem to be this very stubborn viewpoint uh, that people who are overweight, but t- particularly women who are over who are obese. Um, experience a different kind of love. I mean, this is just what the social science researchers find. Um, and that are less deserving of a partner that we would all want for ourselves.
2: And Laura Bogart, um, I'm sure you've encountered that prejudice or that idea that if you're if you're heavy, if you're fat, if you're overweight, you, you've kind of stopped caring, you know. And, and so, therefore, you're not as interested in sex as somebody with a different body type.
4: Yeah. Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, you know, I, as a fat woman, I have certainly dealt with, um, cultural prejudice and stigma. Um, I have sort of had to swim upstream against a cultural current that, you know, tells me that I can't have a happy, fulfilling life, that I can't be healthy, that I can't be engaged and have love in my life. And, you know, I've spent most of my life, um, up until fairly recently on, you know, what I call the hamster wheel of diet and exercise. And, you know, actually, when I was sort of trapped in that cycle, you know, that was when I felt like I was more estranged from myself and, and less able to be open and present and available in a relationship. So for me, yeah, you know, I've certainly have dealt with some of these cultural attitudes, um, that are pertinent to fatness, but I think everybody has certain issues and prejudices that they have to encounter. You know, that's just the nature of being in the world. But for me, you know, as I've sort of tried to fight against these things and work against the ways that I may have internalized them, I feel like I'm just able to be more happy and more present.
2: So uh, Sarah Varney, we've got two ideas that are kind of in collision here, or two values that are kind of in collision here. One of them, and I think you heard, hear it in what Laura, Laura Bogart just said, we want people to like each other, uh, like themselves. We we'll want people to like themselves. Well, we also want them to like each other too, but we'll come to that. But we want people to like themselves, and and if they're fat, we still want them to like themselves. We don't want people to go through life uh, being ashamed of or, or or miserable miserable about something that they find very difficult to change about themselves. So that's value one. Value. Value too, and it's the one that kind of runs through your book a lot, is that there are just consequences, big consequences, uh, for uh, for being fat, uh, big con- consequences that seem to result from this 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 trend that the United States is on, where people just seem to gain more and more weight every year, and some of those consequences spill over into your ability to conduct an intimate relationship. So I'll, I'll kind of let you pick up the thread here and, and talk a little bit about what you see as that second set of almost purely health-oriented issues that then spill over into emotional life and stop being purely health issues.
3: Sure. Well, let me start to say that there, in, in this book, XL Love, there are many stories that are very similar to the story That Laura wrote on Salon. One woman in the dating chapter that we meet um, is this wonderful woman named Stephanie Nelson. She lives up in the Boston area. She's a real person. She used her real name. She had grown up in the Northwest and had been um, a heavy child and had always felt very loved and supported by her family and and really at school. And she really couldn't recall, except for maybe one or two episodes at school, where she had been teased about her weight. So she really grew up with a very healthy sense of herself and a lot of self-confidence. And then she gets accepted to Williams in western massachusetts you know a very uh, sort of leafy school she had gotten a full scholarship there she'd really never traveled much to to that part of the country so she and her dad drive across the country and they end up at williams and she's you know very earnest and she's excited to be there and she has this roommate and you know all the girls are trying on j crew clothes that are you know doesn't really fit her body but she decides you know that's okay she's she's very spunky and she ends up Uh, sort of meeting this young man who comes to their room and they they chat a lot and she tells this heartbreaking story of being at the library one day, and it's the Sadie Hawkins dance, you know, when the girls are supposed to ask the boys out. And this boy who's been visiting her in her room for, you know, weeks on end now seems to be proposing to her that that he take her to the dance. But what actually ends up coming out is that he, in fact, wants to know if she thinks her roommate would be interested in going to the dance. And, you know, Stephanie, poor Stephanie starts to cry and, and sort of runs away. And, and she just talks about how this happened over and over and over over again, that men that she would meet in college didn't see her as a sexual human being, didn't see her as somebody who wanted to be in love um, or could fall in love with them. And she she describes it as really a series of little cuts. You know, here was this person who who actually grew up in a very supportive household, who didn't grow up being bullied or shamed about her body. And yet here she is now at 18, 19, 20 year, years old, in a sense, as she described, having to learn how the world works, and it was an incredibly painful process. You meet her now and she's this, you know, very successful professional. She still carries all of that with her that I am not pretty. I'm not somebody who's lovable. And and you look at her and you think, how can you not think that you're lovable? You're a beautiful woman. You're incredibly successful. So the shame and the guilt that Laura describes is very much something that sticks with women and men throughout their lives. And it's incredibly difficult to overcome. Um, that said, in the book, I do go into as I, I, I mean, I don't know where you really want to start. I mean, I do look at, in a sense, how weight affects pubertal, pubertal development um, and how that can disrupt um both emotional and behavioral development for teenagers but then also as folks get older um, when you're looking at people who are significantly overweight particularly men the biological or physiological processes if you will of how um, adipose tissue and the types of fat that are around the belly can actually decrease testosterone Um, and that when you talk to urologists what they'll say is you know many men who come in who are overweight um, if they can lose weight their testosterone increases naturally this is a very well established um, you know understanding among urologists and endocrinologists
2: okay so let's let's break that into its two parts um, and we'll come to the the purely biological second part in just a second but Laura I'm gonna come back to you uh, Laura Bogart because so the first thing she's talking about is kind of how the game is played mm. uh, and 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 so this is uh, has less to do with the actual health consequences mm. with the, with the physical realities and more about just how people act out their own attitudes towards love and sex in the theater of weight. Maybe you'd like to, to give us your perspective.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, uh, we live in a culture that has a vested interest in making people feel ashamed of their appearance appearances, you know, related to fat and related to other things. You know, we have a billion dollar advertising and beauty and diet industry that certainly preys on that. And, you know, yes, I I have struggled with some of the issues that Sarah was talking about, but I don't think that they necessarily have to be lifelong, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, as a fat woman, you have to be this inherently tragic figure. I think that, you know, with education, with empowerment, and this is where I think that issues of visibility, especially as they pertain to our media, are so important you know, look, it's not always the easiest battle, but it certainly can be done. Um, I know for myself, you know, I turn to the work of writers like Kate Harding or Virgie Tovar or Substantia Jones's At a Positivity Project, which features these very lovely eroticized images of fat women and, you know, felt fortified in myself. I learned to, you know, appreciate myself for who I was, you know, and who I am. I love the way that my hips roll when I walk. I love the way that, you know, I fill out a dress and I feel pretty confident and secure in myself. I'm sort of just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up. And, and that's a really beautiful feeling to me. And it's something that I would hope for everyone, regardless of their shape or size.
2: Um. Well, well, yeah, go ahead, Sarah, go ahead. Oh,
4: I was just
3: going to jump in. I mean, one of the chapters in the book that we haven't really touched on is actually I got very interested in this question of whether or not, I mean, as Laura has written about in, in some of her work, you know, there has always been this niche of plus-size porn, if you will, um, if we can talk about that. Um, and uh, I got very interested in this idea of whether or not... Um, Heavier men and women would look to plus side porn, which had always been very, in some cases, it's incredibly degrading to some of the women. Um, and uh, but I was curious whether or not they could make a sort of more pedestrian version of this, and whether or not that would appeal to some heavier couples, and particularly women who, exactly as Laura is saying, are really looking for positive images, uh, you know, and just even seeing themselves reflected in a video or um, at a burlesque show or something along those lines. And so, in one of the chapters in the book, we actually meet these three. We Meet three women. We meet one woman who's a, a housewife in the Central Valley here in California. A wonderful lady, um, and we go with them to Las Vegas as she is going to meet her plus size hero this woman April Flores who's this incredibly beautiful um, woman who lives in Los Angeles and she does uh, plus size I mean, we can call it burlesque but really it's just it's strip shows and uh, she gets to meet April for the first time and kind of what that means to her to see somebody with a bigger body up on stage who's being idolized by other people um, and it's a huge boost for for Regina there are still issues for her to deal with despite the fact that she has a very supportive husband who's very supportive of her size um but we also meet some other women who are kind of in that world whose lives are actually incredibly damaged either by you know sexual abuse as as children and they're trying to navigate this world right for some of them their whole um uh their you know their their finances rest on them continuing to be very very large now in, the, in some cases we're talking about women who are 500 600 pounds who are severely diabetic, who have very dif- difficult time just walking even. Um, and so you meet some of the women in that world who are really struggling with this idea of, I really need to lose some weight. I certainly don't need to be slender, but I, being 500 pounds is not something that's going to get me to the age of 65. Um, but my livelihood is now dependent upon this, this extreme weight size. Mm-hmm. So you kind of meet all of these people in this one chapter. Um, and the thing I love about April is she's actually one of the first female artists, crossover artists, to win at the, uh, you know, the AVN Awards, which is sort of the adult porn awards, if you will. Um, So I think, you know, I I, I was very interested in that question myself, and I I think for anybody who's interested in this idea, reading Regina's story um, will really help you sort of see... where to seek it out how to seek it out and and still the complicated you know relationship she has with her own body but nonetheless feels invigorated that here's this woman of size who's being celebrated
2: well yeah you know, if i could just sort of steer this conversation into oh, one actually
4: p- colin if you
2: don't, don't ahead, mind, Laura, I, yeah. i'd
4: like to respond to that sure. um you know look i think that pornography can be damaging to all women regardless of their sizes and you know I actually, I have a, a good friend, uh, a writer who's done sex work and has been in that industry. And her name is Antonia Crane, and she wrote a memoir about her life um, doing sex work. And you know, she is a conventionally thin woman. Um, she is quite exquisite, and she talks a lot in her memoir about the role that you know sex work played in her own body image. And she talks about feeling a pressure to be thin and struggling with disordered eating throughout her experience. So I want to be very careful here that we're not saying that this experience is solely pertinent to fat women. I think that you know, a lot of women in that industry can face a lot of these issues. Um, I just felt that, you know, it's very important for us to note that.
2: I, we're duly noted. What, what I wanted to say was, I mean, we can dwell a little bit more as we go along here about what we're talking about right now, which is really about kind of um, uh, uh, seeking out environments and, and people who... Who share one's own attitudes uh, about about being fat uh, and about the erotic potential uh, for being fat? Um, so that that's sort of one set of options, and it's a large set of options. And then there's the other question: is you know. Do we, do we ever want this to be the kind of deal breaker that it seems to be for a lot of people? I mean, I'm sure all of you are getting really tired of hearing about this Louis C.K. episode that I think Terry Gross was just talking about 30 minutes ago. But, you know, he really, in this episode, it seemed to me to seem to be exploring uh, in a way that I at least hadn't heard before on a primetime television show, that whole question of why would this necessarily, of all the things in the world that just could be an on or an off switch for a relationship have to be so dispositive we're just going to hear a little clip of that for those of you who somehow or other have not been exposed to it so far
0: i really like you you're truly a good guy i think so sorry i'm picking you on behalf of all the fat girls i'm making you represent all the guys why do you hate us so much what is it about the basics of human happiness, you know, feeling attractive, feeling loved, uh, having guys chase after us. That's just not in the cards for us. Nope, not for us. How is that fair? And why am I supposed to just accept it? You know it's funny? I flirt with guys all the time. And I mean, the great-looking ones, like the really high-caliber studs, They flirt right back, no problem, because they know their status will never be questioned. But guys like you never flirt with me because you get scared that maybe you should be with a girl like me. And why not?
2: Why not indeed? And there's so much there in that episode. But just, Laura Bogart, I'm going to come back to you on on this for a second. It seems to me that, you know, as I say, we can talk about milieu that are very fat-accepting, whether Mm -hmm. that milieu is in Las Vegas or whether it's on the Internet or whether it's someplace else. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming what people really want is an environment where that's not the first thing they have to get past. Yeah, go ahead. Pick it up.
4: I would agree with that. I mean, I think the thing that's so... Interesting about that episode, and I had you know a very mixed reaction to that episode. I went into it really wanting to like it, and I think that when she's telling him, you know, earlier in that episode, you know, he she says something, and he says, Well, you know, you're not that fat. Basically, he's trying to say, I, Oh, I like you, and she says, You know, that's the worst thing that you can say to me. And what she's really meaning there is that, Look, you like me. And I'm fat. These things should not be mutually exclusive. You like me, and I'm fat. Um, I think that, you know, absolutely, we want sort of a sort of more mainstreaming of this. I think the show did an interesting examination of it. I think it falls apart a little bit in her monologue um, because it starts off in this sort of very empowering way where, like, look, this is my experience, it's unfortunate. I'm refusing to settle for it. And then at the end, she sort of crumples. Um, the big sort of symbol in that episode, and, and it was actually in my essay as well, is the idea of the partner who's going to hold your hand, the partner who is going to be visible with you out in the street, you know, introduce you to his friends, um, introduce you to family. And hand holding is a very direct, very powerful visual symbol of that. And, you know, she pursues him very avidly throughout the show and before she crumples you know she says I don't even want a boyfriend I don't even want a husband I just want someone to hold my hand and for me the idea of that person who holds your hand you know is your boyfriend is your husband is your partner is someone who is willing to just walk with you and be with you
2: Um, Sarah Varney so we're we're, as I say we'll turn to a little bit more of the the health parts of this as we go along but one of the things that um, that I think we 're sort of bumping up against here is that whole question of do we sort of adjust our attitudes first, our attitudes and our aesthetic standards, even granting the the premise that runs through your book that as we go along here we 're going to talk about ways that you know you could change your attitudes all you want, there are going to be physiological consequences, at least to certain levels of obesity that are going to screw up your sex life. But step one is sort of that whole question is should should there be this incredibly restrictive environment? Uh, in which for some people a certain level of body mass is just kind of a deal breaker um, or should we expect that to change
3: well i would first off say that you know this book is really i'm obviously i'm a reporter i'm a journalist so i'm not a sociologist or an anthropologist i don't really have an opinion about where why things should or shouldn't be a certain way mm-hmm. my i got interested in understanding now that we have so many people who are overweight in the united states how is it changing things like pubertal development? How is it changing things like puppy love? Um, how is it changing dating for men and women in their 20s and 30s? How is it um, affecting marriages? Um, how does weight loss disrupt marriages in many in many cases? So I don't, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I think the book is really meant to document a lot of the kinds of experiences that Laura is describing. You know, you'll meet 100 different people in this book um, from, you know, teenagers to people in their late 60s who essentially just describe how what their experience is like being an overweight person, an obese person going through the world. Um, so that's really was the that was the focus of my book. I mean we do spend a chapter looking specifically at sexual dysfunction and a lot of the medical research um, that looks at how does obesity affect physical sexual functioning, if you will, um, just as it might increase the risk for diabetes or breast cancer uh, or heart disease. So there are interesting um questions to be brought up um, to to look at specifically how obesity affects sexual functioning. But I would say that the book is very much more, it's not trying to answer the question of should this be this way or it should be this way. Um, It's just simply saying here's what people are experiencing. And it's been very interesting just in the last week since the book's been out, the number of emails and comments that I've been getting from people who are both overweight but also from people who are not, who have said thank you for sharing this world with me and opening up this world with me. Obviously people like Laura have been writing about this but you know the idea of actually doing a book where you compile not only these personal narratives but the social science and the medical research to try and put the picture together as best as we can at this point
2: all right we're gonna i'm gonna also uh, we have a call uh, that i want to take right after the break so ducks from middletown just hang on here feel free to tweet us at wnpr colin we'll be back after this round, round. If you've been with us the whole time, then you've met Sarah Varney. Her new book is XL Love, How the Obesity Crisis is Complicating America's Love Life. You've also met Laura Bogart. She's a freelance writer whose work appears in Salon, The Rumpus, The Nervous Breakdown, and Dame Magazine. Uh, Since we've been uh, hearing women's voices, let's hear uh, from a few men. We can start with Ducks in Middletown. Hi, Ducks. Hi.
1: Thank you, uh, folks, uh, Colin. I'm I'm about your age, and... uh, I, uh, I thank you, Sarah, and all the uh, folks on the show today. And I, this is very, very important to me. And, and I also experienced this because I contributed to breaking down a, what I believe could have been a, an excellent marriage because I let out uh, an irritation and frustration with my ex wife's weight gain. And I had traditionally, uh, throughout my life, uh, dated and been sexually aroused and been with women who were tended to be thin or average weight and it actually just come off a relationship just before this marriage that that ended uh, recently and we're still friends and all that but uh, and I've apologized to her profusely but I've had in the course of looking at my own sexuality and my background and things like that and and a lot of what I find about this is um, People have a right to have to have love, and they're human beings. And in fact, this has scarred me. Like I am not invested in my own sexual type right now. What I would have is sort of an ideal type if I were, you know, a young rich uh, bachelor, whatever. You know, whatever <laughs> comical, stupid things I could say about that. But the idea is that, and I'm, I'm often pursued by women who are older than me, who are, tend to be overweight, and I'm thin, and so I also get the reverse thing, which is that I think believe they're. Even heterosexual slender men, or whatever, who you know are not uh, seen as as attractive um, to like average or what we would consider you know ideal, Playboy shape women, or whatever that you know the, the bad stereotypes, but.
2: Right, and I think, by the way, Dix, we might be getting a little off track here. Some of the things you're saying are so important that I just want to kind of uh, focus in on them and get a little spe- specific about them. So, Sarah Varney, I'm going to start with you. The first thing he said was about the dissolution of his marriage, which uh, seemed to have been triggered by uh, the way that he was not able to accept uh, his wife's weight gain and, and sort of who she was at that moment. This is a big thing that runs through your book. You look at a lot of different marriages. The the marriage you look at the most long term in the book, the the story that runs through the book is the story of a woman's marriage. I don't know as if you can do a spoiler in a nonfiction book, but a woman who's gone through some, some bad relationships, relationships that were effectively ruined by her weight, and then who is with a man who stays with her through a lot of, through thick and thin, you could almost literally say. Uh, and, and so maybe you can comment just a little bit what you saw uh, uh, about how this whole question uh, affects actual marriages.
3: Sure. Well, it's interesting. When you look at the social science, it had been all over the map for a long time in terms of how weight related to marriage and marriage success. So um, there had been some early surveys that, that found that, f- um, for instance, overweight and obese women reported being the happiest in their marriages. Um, then there was other research that said, no, it was slender women that were the happiest in their marriages, or it was overweight men that were the happiest in the marriages. And really the data was really sort of all over the map. Um, and then uh, one researcher basically decided, well, let's actually look at the comparative weight between the husband and the wife and these all these studies do focus on heterosexual marriages and much of the book really focuses on heterosexual marriages Um, if only because you had to sort of define what you were talking about and obviously getting into same-sex relationships um, really requires I think its own treatment Um, so what they found, what this researcher found was essentially what really mattered was actually just the differential between the husband and the wife and that it it didn't matter if the wife was thin or slender or normal weight or um, even overweight or obese. It just simply mattered that her husband was... was um, heavier than she was. Those seem to be the relationships, just in terms of the surveys and the, the studies that they did, that seem to be the um, the most successful and where there was the least amount of fighting reported, where both husband and wife reported being the most satisfied um, in their relationship. So there's a lot of really interesting social science that have tried to answer this question. Now, obviously, there are going to be people who, uh, because it's the surveys and it's research, there's going to be people who um, are either on either end of that, right? So we know that obviously... Um, There are couples, overweight couples, who are incredibly happy and fulfilled and have a wonderful relationship with one another. But obviously what social scientists are trying to do is sort of figure out, okay, what can we tell about large groups of people? Um, And this this is where it seems to have come down.
2: Um, and just to sort of follow up on that, though, because in some ways, social science is a blunt instrument, you know, I mean, it, it can only look at large of groups of people. And so one of the things that I think sort of comes out in in, in several of the stories you tell and, and that one predominant one of Dana uh, in your book is that it really is a little bit more like the, the old uh, hackneyed paradigm of the lobster in the pot and the water, the temperature being turned up a degree at a time, right? That, that often what happens in these relationships is that one person or sometimes both people begin to add more weight, and there are these subtle adjustments that go on, and some of them are positive adjustments, some of them are negative adjustments, but it doesn't, there isn't sort of one day of reckoning, there's a thousand days of kind of mini reckonings, I'll, I'll let you pick it up.
3: Yeah. And so we in the book, we meet this woman, Dana Englehart, who's a lovely woman. Um, she's got three children. She lives here in the Bay Area. She had gained weight when she, um, after she had her first child, when she was about, you know, 19, 20 years old and kind of continued to gain weight. Um, her parents really focused on her weight as she, when she was a kid, although she was not particularly heavy. Um, but she really had a lot of um, guilt around her body. Uh, she really describes herself as the quote, unlikable fat girl, very much the way Laura um, talks about um, in her. In her article on Salon. Mm. Um, So we, as we meet her, she is now in her a relationship with her longtime husband Larry, and after she, she's heavy when they're married. Um, Larry is not heavy; he's a taller man, but he's not heavy. Um, over time, though, in the first few years of their marriage, she starts to gain much much more weight, um, and she just gets to be a certain point where she's very uncomfortable. She's a nurse, so she's on her feet all the time, um, and she's taking she's works at a um, um, at a lab that basically takes care of people who are coming in uh, to be treated or tested for heart disease. Many Many of those patients are very overweight. Um, And she's really concerned that... you know she's uh, she's not going to be able to keep up her job. Actually, that um, she's going to who's going to support the family? Who's going to provide health insurance? There's a lot of real practical problems that come up for her because of her weight. Um, she's she has she's diagnosed with sleep apnea. So when she goes to sleep at night, she has to wear this CPAP machine. She talks about how one of the biggest sadnesses for her is that she just doesn't have the energy for her kids anymore, and she doesn't want to play outside with the kids. She doesn't want to garden. You know, it's obviously this affects her in many 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 ways. Um, but one of the ways that it affects her relationship is that she and Larry really just, she kind of just rolls over and turns away from him. I mean, both physically, but also metaphorically. Um, But he continues to try and, you know, entice her. Um, He says, I love you. I'm attracted to you. I want to have sex with you. She just can't buy it. You know, And 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 it really speaks to Um, how deep these self-beliefs are that she just says in her words, you know, I felt like after I hit a certain weight, just the way I felt about myself, it wasn't a specific weight on the scale. It was just more that she said, I started to, I felt like a monster and she couldn't believe that anybody would find her attractive. Um, and so that's where we sort of come into Larry and Dana's relationship, and we really follow them through. She eventually goes and gets um, bariatric surgery, and she loses a significant amount of weight. But what she finds is that that is not the thing that solves uh, the relationship problems that she has with Larry. Um, and we we, we we learn about the types the types of both individual therapy, but also uh, counseling that the couple has to go through in order to, in a sense, uh, restart their relationship. Um, And and as Larry says, you know, I had sort of, I had lost, I'd stopped figuring out what the signs were I didn't know how to read my wife anymore um, so they really have to come back together to sort of figure out what is their physical relationship look like
2: yeah hence my comment it's a thousand little adjustments and those some of those just adjustments need to be kind of unmade so Laura Bogart I Laura Bogart I'm interested in just generally getting your reaction to that but I mean very specifically once again we're sort of coming back to this collision of values on the on the one hand we want there to be a world where where people are feel free to like themselves um, even if they're fat they should like themselves and, and, and other people should like them on the other hand you read Sarah Varney's book and it's, sometimes it almost seems like sexuality and desirability can be kind of a canary in the coal mine a lot of us I think are but you know sometimes in denial about just exactly where our weight is or what our uh, level of, of fatness is and 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 it's kind of like well that would be an indication maybe that I should do something if I'm losing interest in sex people are losing interest in me you know m- maybe that's sort of a beginning place for that conversation although I think you'd say that conversation just never stops.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that conversation never stops. And I, and I want to go back and, and make clear, you know, I never in that essay think of myself as being the unlikable fat girl. Um, I think I make it clear that, you know, I actually quite like myself. And, you know, like I said, I'm waiting for the culture to catch up with me. And I think that when we hear stories like the one that Sarah just shared or, you know, like the caller who was just on, you know, I hear the grief in his voice and talking about this thing that he has lost and I think that, you know, these attitudes that we see are a part of a fat-shaming culture which denies us you know, When we're talking about health here, I think we unquestionably have to talk about mental health and mental well-being and how that plays into how we see ourselves and how we inhabit the world. Um, there was actually a physical trainer, um, oh, excuse me, personal trainer. Um, her name is Kelly Coffey, and she lost... I want to say anywhere between 150 to 170 pounds, and she actually wrote this essay um, for her personal site, and it was called "The Five Things I Miss About Being Over 300 Pounds." And so everyone was sort of like, "Oh, this is interesting for a personal trainer of all people, and someone who has lost a significant amount of weight to say." So she was interviewed uh, on the Huffington Post, and she said something that was so moving to me, and I think it speaks to this idea of a holistic approach to health. Um, And she says, we associate thinness with happiness. We associate thinness with success, and we associate it with peace. And the fact of the matter is that thinness is thinness, nothing more. You don't get anything else when you get thin. You know, The circumstances around you will change, but your internal atmosphere, and I love that turn of phrase, the internal atmosphere does not. And that's dictated by how you treat Yourself. I think that yes, we live in a culture that is opposed to us, that is opposed to people being actualized. And, you know, not just fat people, I would say, although that's what we're talking about here. And I think the answer to that is developing, you know, a healthy and strong internal atmosphere.
2: Um, I want to add to this conversation, and by the way, I hope some of what you just said, uh, we've got a lot of really good callers here, and and I promise in the third and final segment I will get as many of you on the air as I can. I don't know if I'll be able to get to Catherine from Rocky Hill, but I think you just spoke to some of her concerns that really – there are a lot of things that people, that women do to make themselves thin so they'll be desirable mm-hmm. and that wind them up in a, in a pretty bad place as well. I feel like that's sort of a whole other program. We, um, Yeah. We, we, that's another hour here. I want to bring Dan Weiss into this conversation. He's a music critic, he's author of the blog uh, Ask a Guy Who Likes Fat Chicks, and he plays in the band Deus Ex Machina. He's also contributed work to Deadspin and The Village Voice. So, um, Dan Weiss, you know, one question, I mean, you've been listening to a lot of, or perhaps, all of this conversation. And and I mean, one question that maybe comes up is, which thing does more damage, you know, having a conversation, uh, sort of letting this whole subject go, parking it somewhere and not having a conversation uh, uh, about it, or having a conversation that sort of churns up more uh, questions of, of shame and, and questions about whether it's all right for uh, fat people just to kind of accept the way they are and, and to enjoy a sex the sex life that is available to them. So I'll let you just react there.
5: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, having a conversation is always better than not having a conversation. Uh, we will never know what the issues are unless people uh, voice them. But um, with uh, with this, it's uh, yeah. I mean, the, a, a giant half of the conversation isn't really being had, which is which is the idea that uh, that like uh, the woman that Sarah just uh, spoke about, she had no idea that anyone could find her desirable, and. I come from a perspective that is completely the opposite of that because I have always, like, I, I grew up and just I have always found that women desirable, and I am certainly not alone. And it's bizarrely not represented anywhere. It's, if anything, it's it's sort of a, a weird, like, mythical novelty when when someone who actually likes the fat characters portrayed on TV shows, and it's so people can't really believe that that this. Thing that goes against, you know, the mainstream ideal of, of beauty or whatever, but my whole thing is that there is no mainstream ideal of beauty because they're, you know, if a significant portion of the country is considered fat, they're not just like all not finding, you know, partners in relationships and sex and love. They're, they are. They're, they're finding, you know, partners and, and they're not all unhappy and there's just there's just so many people and so many perspectives. Like there is no, there's no real norm for this. There's just an idea that that there's only one way toward happiness. You know, uh, sort of what the, what Laura was just responding to, there's this, um, this cartoon uh, on a play called Toothpaste for Dinner where it was like a two-panel comic and it had uh, sort of a fat character who said, you know, I hate myself, and then the next panel, he... Dinner, and he
2: just says, "Nope, that wasn't it." Mm. Yeah, well, and I, but I think also, Dan, there's sort of a whole segment of the population who basically doesn't believe that you exist, right? That um, mm-hmm. that I mean, we saw it. I mean, not to keep coming back to pop culture, but we saw That's it. We, we saw it with the episode of Girls uh, this year, in which Patrick Wilson, who's a very uh, thin, attractive young guy, and he plays a, a very rich guy, spends this kind of sex-filled weekend with Lena Dunham, who is, I, I don't, you know, people we, people debate about whether it's right to say that she. She's fat, but she's certainly not as thin as Patrick Wilson. And there was this backlash on the Internet. I'm sure you were aware of it, that there's this whole, whole bunch of people just questioning, saying that would never happen. That hookup just doesn't exist. I mean, essentially saying, uh, Dan Weiss, th- that the, the the erotic standard you just articulated isn't there. It's it's not real.
5: Right. And that's sort of what's, uh, what's being erased here, because it's certainly real. Uh, it's realer than a lot of people think. Every... You know, being part of the community that's aware of all these things, uh, I've been party to a lot of stories over the years of just every, nearly every fat woman that I know has a story of uh, turning out that or learning that, you know, they were the woman on the side for for someone who has a thin wife or has a thin girlfriend or or is sort of hiding them and and secretly is into much bigger women than, than his friends and family might know of there is definitely, I mean, you can you can quantify like uh, that there are definitely people, you know, paying money to see like uh, DVW web models and such. Like uh, there, there are so many and they, and they live off it and they make money and that's just the people who are paying to see them. I mean, there's lots, you know, so there's just so much to account for and there's, uh, so we know that the attraction exists and that there's lots of people into it. So I would say that the mental health factors uh, of having a society that just tells you that, like a society that all around tells someone a, a fat woman like Laura or someone that that they're just not attractive, that they have to that from all sides that they get that perspective. Of course, that's going to affect you know their their sex and romantic lives in a negative way. It's going to affect their lives all over in a negative way because they're. They grow up thinking that the odds are, are against them, mm-hmm. or, or they gain weight later and they think that they're doomed. And it's like, that's not, there's, they're just not aware of the other side of it. And while it may be viewed as like a subculture that, you know, that people like me are into, fat uh, partners, it, it could be, you know, with time, uh, part, just part of the regular culture, just like any other kind of attraction that was once seen as. Uh, as unconventional. All
2: right, we're gonna, I just, I'm just going to stop you there because we're, we've got to save sure. a little bit of time on the other side of this for break. We have got some very interesting calls too here too from Roy, Kevin, David. We'll get to those after this.
0: show was produced by betsy kaplan and me our interns are Britt hill and jackie filson greg hill tweets for us at wnpr colin the part of bill curry was played by tom arnold for show pages articles and videos visit our website wnpr.org and now back to colin
2: Yes, we're back. Oh, we've got a lot of phone calls coming in here about this conversation. We're talking to Sarah Varney. She's the author of XL Love, How the Obesity Crisis is Complicating America's Love Life. Uh, and sort of on the other uh, side of the, that issue are Laura Bogart, freelance writer uh, for Salon The Rumpus, The Nervous Breakdown in Dame Magazine, and Dan Weiss, music critic and author of the blog, Ask a Guy Who Likes Fat Chicks. Uh, I do want to sort of take a little bit of time to get to some calls here because I think there's some important issues coming up, and I think they're ones that our, our guests will want to talk about. Here's Roy in Meriden. Hi, Roy. You're on the Air.
6: Oh, great. How you doing, Colin? Can uh, everybody hear me?
2: Uh, just barely. Uh, if you're on a Bluetooth, I may, may be making it a little bit hard. But yeah, right. do your best. Speak up as much as you can.
6: All right, great. Um, thanks for taking my call. I'm a big supporter of NPR. I listen to your show all the time. You do a great job. Um, what I wanted to bring up was if our guests thought about the other side of it, the cultural side. I am a black man of West Indian descent, and I and a lot of my friends Uh, You know, that are black men, too. We've sort of grown up around women who were certainly not a size two, and so we're more accustomed to that. And we, uh, you know, our white friends who see a woman that's over, like, a size six, they consider them heavy or fat. So, you know, when they're looking at a woman that's a size 12 or 14 or 16, they, like, won't even... You know, talk to them. And, you know, when I was younger, before I was married and me and my friends would be like, well,
2: sure, send them over like you guys, you guys <laughs> so, are dumb. So, um, Roy, I don't want to cut you off. But on the other hand, we're, we're short on time and I do want you to res- get some responses. Sarah Varney, this is something you deal with in your book, that there are there's a, a sliding cultural scale on all this stuff.
3: Absolutely. I mean, much of the research that I tried to gather for all this um, for the book is really based on these national surveys. So they are both racially and ethnically reflective of the United States. And you do see, of course, that race and ethnicity mitigate the implications of weight um, in in different ways, but not as much as I think you might you might think. Um, When we look particularly at teenagers, for instance, um, we know that black girls, for instance, are not spared from increased obese black girls are not not spared from increased rates of depression, for instance, um, just simply because their culture is more accepting of larger sizes. So while there are certainly differences in the data, um, and I do talk about them in the book, um, I think there's actually much more um, similarities in many ways when you're looking really across the broad spectrum, across the entire population. And you do hear from um, many black women in the book who talk about, yes, I understand that, you know, I can be a bigger size, I can be a size 12 or 14, but there's still a specific type of body shape um that's still more acceptable than say another body shape you know i can't be i can't be really round uh and there's some some young women who talk about that in the book um so you know i think i was very interested in really hearing from people out in the world um in the country what what's your own experience and i hope that the book in a sense reflects what they what they feel
2: all right i want to go to david in hartford and i apologize for kind of speed dating here but uh, we're just very short on time hi david you're on the air
7: Hi, uh, great show, great topic, very important. Um, I um, wanted to say, you know, I'm I'm a person I've uh, struggled with weight off and on throughout my life. And I've dated, uh, you know, women uh, on all ends of the spectrum, both skinny uh, to uh, overweight. And um, I got to say, you know, all of them were beautiful, but I have to say it really seems like uh, women have to deal with uh, much harder issues and much deeper-seated issues than, in my experience, men have to uh, from the perspective. There was, uh, you know, one girl in particular I dated has, you know, she was uh, overweight and, uh, you know, very beautiful. But um, she went through, you know, a process, lost a great deal of weight, and um, she was just remarkably unhappy uh after losing the weight and just really uh almost gave her more issues than she'd had mm-hmm. before having to face it.
4: Yeah,
2: I'm gonna, so, uh, I'm, gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna Laura here an uh huh you know, from Laura so oh, I'll let you that, comment on. That,
4: that is the complete you know, I'm going back to that Kelly Coffee quote where, you know, thinness is just thinness, you know, it's nothing more and, you know, like I said, I, I've been on the hamster wheel of diet and exercise and, you know, it didn't work for me. It made me more unhappy. It estranged me from myself and you know when I would hit the points in life when I would be smaller I would have the same reaction or I would go well this was supposed to like make me somehow magically better it was supposed to cure everything in my life you know that's the bill of goods that were sold and so on top of the fact that it wasn't solving these things, you know, I had to be continually struggling to maintain, you know, this body type that our culture tells us I have to have to make other people feel comfortable and secure. So it was sort of compound issues and you know, Like I've said before, I am a much happier, much secure person once I just decided, look, I am who I am, and that's all that I am, and I'm going to be this person no matter what the scale says or no matter what the tag on the back of my dress says.
2: Uh, that's a great place for us to end, uh, although there's a much longer conversation to have. If you want to continue the conversation, uh, one place would to, to go would be Sarah Varney's book, uh, XL Love, How the Obesity Crisis is Complicating America's Love Life, or continue to follow the work of Laura Bowers. Bogart and Dan Weiss. They both write about these issues. Thanks to everybody who helped on today's show. Thanks to Jeff Cohen for the idea. And uh, thanks to Betsy Kaplan for pulling this all together.